This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversation. Tonight, I'm going to be speaking with Susan Newman about only children families as part of our series on 21st century families. Susan Newman is a social psychologist and the author of two books on only children, Parenting an Only Child, and just published this year, The Case for the Only Child, Your Essential Guide. She also writes a blog for Psychology Today magazine on raising and being an only child. The blog is called Singletons. Welcome to Safe Space, Susan. Good to be here. Let's start with your story. Tell me a little bit about your decision to have one biological child and what some of your concerns were when you were making that decision. I have to go back a step. I married a man originally with four children, and helped him raise those children. And so when I remarried years later, I was typical of a lot of women today. I was much starting a family much older. So that was one reason uh, for my having one son, although like most people who have an only child, I had questions about it. But I feel as if I've done, and that's what got me interested in the topic to And as a psychologist and researcher, what really propelled me was people saying, you can't have just one child, it's not fair, you're being selfish. And I started thinking, what is wrong with one having an only child? So that was the beginning of my interest in uh, this topic, and I've been at, at it for a very long time because my son is 29 years old. <laughs> so it's almost 30 years of research. That's great. So you have that perspective. And, and so the very first thing that you mentioned was people implying that it was selfish. Did you worry that you were being selfish? No, I didn't wor- The selfish part didn't bother me so much as the you have to have another child that bothered me, um, and of course I've discovered that uh, that isn't necessary, that only children do very well. How a child turns out, uh, particularly only children, has more to do, or all children really, has more to do with the parenting than the number of siblings he does or doesn't have. So let's get into that a little bit more, because I know that right now I understand that only children families are, in fact, the largest growing segment of the de- you know family demographics in the country. Is that right? That's true. It's the fastest growing uh, segment of in terms of family sizes, and it's one of the best kept family secrets. Very few people know that. Um, the number of only child families is up to 22%, and depending on where you live, it will be higher uh, if you use major metropolitan areas like uh, New York, for example, 30% of the population is um, made up of single child families. And it's also a worldwide trend. It's in developed countries. It's not just in the United States. States. You know, in um, England, they're starting to call England the one-child nation, uh, as they do with China. Their, their single-child population is up to 46%. That's almost half. In England. And in countries like Spain. 
Spain, Portugal, Italy, France, Germany, uh, the, the percentage is 30%. So, you know, it, this isn't just something that's happening around the corner or in your neighborhood. It, it, it is happening uh, throughout the world. And how do you understand this trend? What are the factors that contribute to so many people having one child as part of as their family? Well, the age marriage age has gone way up. Is one you know one of the major influences? Uh, the economy is another influence. Uh, but women are starting to have their children uh, much later, after 35, and the median age in the U.S. where it was, you know, 20 and 21, a few, uh, you know, a generation, two generations ago, it's now up at 27. Um, so that that's one reason um, for we, several and of them. And also infertility has to be factored in and secondary infertility. Uh, as you wait longer, you uh, potentially may have more fertility problems, and you can have one child, and then it becomes very difficult to have a second child. Um, and the other factor that relates, uh, that I think is key, that and relates, it relates to the economy, is that more and more women are working. You know, as of 2010 census, 77 percent of uh, mothers with young children were working. And uh, if you're a working mother and you're trying to work and raise a family, it's quite difficult. And then cost, of course, is huge. if, If you're in an income bracket between 57 and $98,000 a year, um, it costs $286,000 to get your child to age uh, 18. So you don't have um, the cost of college factored in that number. That would be on top. Or private school, presumably. Ignore private school. You're just talking about food. Yeah, I'm talking about public education, uh, $46,000 of that $286,000 is for food. It's one of my favorite numbers. (laughs) Um, So, you know, while nobody wants to put a price tag on children, I, I think today people are thinking about, you know, they want to, want to, uh, give their child as many advantages or children as they can, and how many can they really afford without being um, stressed? Because let's face it, if you're a stressed-out parent, that affects how you raise your children, and that affects your temper, your patience, um, and children pick up on parents' feelings. So... You know, th- those to me are the main reasons I wanna... why we're seeing this number rise. But there's also um, single women are deciding to have children on their own. They're not waiting for Mr. Right. And um, for them, it's hard to raise more than one child by themselves. And then, of course, you have the whole divorce and remarriage and where they're prior children in a first marriage and how many children um, 
is the partner who, who already has children willing to add to his family. And I'm thinking, too, about lesbian and gay couples and the expense of going through adoption procedures or donor procedures, you know, how expensive it is to have a child that way. Yeah, I mean, adoption, uh, unless you're adopting from the foster care system within your community or a state or within the country, you know, international adoptions are enormously expensive. Yeah. Uh, and for many people, they are prohibitive, as are infertility treatments. You know, you, they, that is an in vitro. That is all very, very expensive. Right. So I have two questions about these factors that add to, you know, people choosing or, or accepting to have one child only. One is when you say women are having children later in life, obviously there's part of that is just straight up secondary infertility. By the time they're ready to have their second child, they find they can't. But are there other factors if you're having, if you've had your first child when you're older, does that make you, if you, if you could conceive a second child, are you less likely to want to if you're older? Well, that's going to vary from woman to woman. I mean, there was a recently a, uh, no, it was a New York magazine cover where, um, the, they had a pregnant woman on the cover, and she was over 50 years old. And they're saying, is this too old to have a baby? So, uh, you know, I, I think it depends on you know, what their uh, job or career uh, demands and am- ambitions are, uh, because there is definitely a motherhood penalty. Um, you know, and if you look at... For, um, maternity leaves, um, childless women are paid more than women with children. Uh, so that's a concern, and that could be a reason why a, a woman waits to have her children. She wants to be established in her career, and it could be a reason why she feels a second one is not you know, an, a choice or an option. Right. So it's clear then that this is a really, really common phenomenon that almost a quarter of all families in this country will have one child only. And I know from so many, you know, friends and colleagues who have one child that there are a whole host of worries that go with that for parents. Worries, you know, kind of stigmatizing worries about will my child be selfish? Will they not know how to share? Will they not know how to get along with people? Will they be lonely uh, when they grow up? And I'd love to hear what the research tells us about the reality of these concerns. Well, those those are really typical. All of the things you're mentioning are typical uh, stigmas and stereotypes that have been attached to the only child since the late 1890s when uh, there was a psychologist by the name of G. Stanley Hall, so who did a small study. But you have to think back to what was going on in the 1890s. Children lived very far apart. They lived on farms. There was no Little League. There were no after-school activities. So in terms of worrying about your child being socialized today, uh, 
children learn to be uh, empathetic, to share, uh, to be caring, to um, be kind. Uh, in you know, young children are, start in daycare and nursery school, and they're surrounded for the you know the most part by other children. So when you talk about children being lonely, for example. You know, in today's world, that's pretty hard. For, it's pretty difficult for an only child to be lonely, and it goes back to parenting, unless the parents are isolating this child. Um, but most children are not isolated. Uh, if you live in neighborhoods, um, you have friends. Children play, and they're on teams, and they are taking lessons, and they're with other children eight to eight or more hours a day, which um, keeps them connected. And we now live in an electronic age with cell phones and text messaging that um, I don't think your middle school child is going to be texting his brother or sister. <laughs> or playing with his brother or sister all that often because there's no percentage, there's no um, social elevation in playing with a sibling, they'll be texting their friends. So, you know, in that sense, I really don't see or believe, and there have been a, a number of studies done on this, um, a very large study at the University of Ohio last year where they looked at um, only children and children with siblings, and the middle school and high school children had as many friends as the children with siblings, uh, the only children did. And there was an earlier study uh, done that showed some social deficit in uh, among only children. But the difference between those two studies, I have a lot of problems with the study that was done with kindergarten children because teachers were evaluating uh, see, the relationships of the children. And I think like many very conservative people today and older people today, they hang on to the stereotypes. So I think that study might be a little bit biased, and I'm not sure that only children in kindergarten lack any social skills. So I don't buy into that study, but I had to report it because it was, you know, a pretty yes. substantial study. But my understanding is that the study that then followed, was it, was it the same kids or the same researchers that by middle school any sense it of deficit the, had evaporated. Is it that was right? the same, right. It was the same researchers, not the same children. Got it. And and what I understand is that those kids were found to actually have certain advantages in terms of intellectual capacity or achievement. Is that right? That is correct. Because and that makes you know infinite good sense to me. If you have one child, the child's benefiting from. For example, sitting at the dinner table, talking to his parents. Now, as the mother of four young children at one point in my life, I can attest to this. It does happen 
when you have a, a, a number of children, the children talk to each other and the parents talk to each other unless there's a discipline issue at the table. Okay. So the only child is getting the vocabulary benefit of talking to his parents. Uh, the parents are you know, likely, more likely to be taking the child to more places, exposing the child to more um, different experiences, and they have more time to read to their child and so forth. And so that explains the um, advantage that, that, that shows up in testing, that only, only children do slightly better. So I want to ask you about another, I know, very common fear that people have about only children, which is that eventually when their parents, you know, are, are getting very old or dying, that they'll have to handle all of that by themselves without the help of their siblings. And I'd love to hear what your thoughts are about that worry. Well, that, that's, your know, parents do struggle with that. I mean, even I struggle with that, I go, or did. I go, oh, my son's going to be responsible for both of us all by himself. But in reality, and, and uh, a colleague of mine has written a book about this uh, called They're Your Parents Too, and just the title tells you mm-hmm. that there's so much sibling, or there can be. When it works and siblings gather around and they're helpful, it's terrific. That doesn't happen in the majority of families. There's fighting all the time. Uh, when talking to subjects for the, my book, um, some of them who had only children but were, in fact, came from larger families, they said, I wish I were an only child. So that, that's one aspect of it. The other is that if, if as a parent of an only child, and this is something I have really worked on and worked at, I have tried to be sure that my son has sibling substitutes in the form of friends. Friends will be there for you. If and when he gets married, he will have a supportive wife, let's hope. Um, And there, there was a, you know, one of my favorite interviews for this book was a woman who was telling me an only child uh, who is in her 60s, and she, she and her best friend's mother met when the two mothers were pregnant, and they stayed friends throughout their life until the other woman died. But my friend, or my subject, stepped in as any aunt would and took her deceased friend's daughter to buy her prom dress. They continued um, holiday traditions of having meals, you know, family meals together. So you can create sibling substitutes with friends, uh, with cousins, and with more extended family, if you have it, but friends are going to be there to back you up. And you know, to me, as a parent of an only child, um, socializing your child early and cultivating these friendships, and if you don't have to uh, relocate a lot, um, that's a huge benefit to the only child.
later in life. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space. I'm talking to Susan Newman about Only Children Families. So I want to talk about the the classic dilemma for the mother of an only child, where she's there on the playground or she's meeting someone new in some social situation with her one child in hand, and the person says to her, oh, uh, is this your only child? Which is a question, of course, that these mothers get all the time. And the implication and the feeling is as if there's something less than about that, something wrong with it. And um, I'd love to hear kind of... What's your sense of uh, of that question, how ubiquitous it is, and what's a good oh, way the, for a mom to answer that question? The question is everywhere. I mean, you can you can get it if you have your child in the cart at a supermarket and the check the person checking you out will say, "Don't you have a brother or a sister?" Um, you know, strangers love to butt in. Um, your sister or brother may say it to you. And for sure, your mother and mother-in-law will say it. Um, there are a number of ways to handle that. Uh, and, and I think it stems, again, from the stereotypical view that um, you know, we think of only children in the same way we may think of an ethnic group. And people get stuck in an era that has totally changed. Uh, we don't define family anymore as a boy for you and a girl for me. Uh, people, couples don't marry so much anymore. Single women are having babies. Um, there are gay and lesbian families. The whole definition of family has changed, yet the reason you hear this question is because people still have this antiquated belief from the 50s of what a family should look like. Um, And the best way, I think, to answer that question depends on your relationship with the person asking it or making the pronouncement. But, um, you know, you can say something like, no, we're not having any more children. We love our family the way it is. We're happy. Uh, For the pesky sister, let's say, who just doesn't leave you alone, uh, you need to get yourself on firmer ground. And, and, you know, I would say, you know, you bring this up all the time. We're not having this discussion anymore. It's off limits. Uh, That's the way I would handle a very close um, relative or friend. if you're trying, you can say, if it's true, I would always be truthful. Well, we're trying, but we don't have high hopes for this, you know, for having a second child. And, and so that brings up a really interesting other point, Susan, which mm-hmm. is about the difference that moms feel between ones who want to say, actually, this is our choice, versus the the saying, you know, actually it was secondary infertility, we didn't have a choice. And what I've found is that um, for moms who feel like they didn't have a choice, they feel sort of more innocent in saying, well, it wasn't our fault, (laughs) as it were. But for the moms who really didn't, either didn't want a second child or for whatever reason chose not to have a second child where it was voluntary, they feel more uncomfortable with knowing how to answer the question 
more more somehow shameful, like it, as if they weren't maternal enough to want more or sort of this implication that something's wrong with them, that they didn't want another child. And I'd love to hear what, what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, that's a, you know, as more and more women are opting out of children, um, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I find it difficult, I mean, that to really have an opinion about that because I think people who are making that choice, I think they're feeling guilty perhaps because they don't understand that only children um, do absolutely wonderfully in the world, that they do become independent, uh, that they have friends, that they um, excel in many areas, they're highly motivated. Uh, I, I think for them the guilt is more a lack of understanding Mm. There's then, a fear that it makes them a bad mother, that they weren't willing to give their child this supposed this seeming benefit of the sibling. Yeah, and that that also comes from this, the preconceived notion of what family is. Mm. And you know, many of us, I mean, when you go into a, a um, starting a family, uh, most people have in their heads what they want to do. So it could be the mothers who are feeling guilty had uh, this concept in their minds that they were having three children, and that's what they said. They may be getting pressure from a parent to have more grandchildren. Uh, I, I think it stems from a whole array of these emotions rather than logic. Right. What I'm struck by, you know, you in your blog on Psychology Today, the Singleton's blog, you write about something called, which I was interested by, source amnesia, that these, um, the source of our, of our stereotypes about only children has been long forgotten. We don't even know why we have these stereotypes. And, and actually, the less you remember about where the information come from, comes from, the stronger the power of that information is. Which I found such a compelling idea that, and and it makes these stereotypes very hard to combat in a way that we don't even know where they come from. That's right, and they are just glued in our brains. So, you know, it's very hard to get rid of them. But as the only child population is increasing, and it, this so reminds me of uh, when my son was younger. Uh, one of his little friends was over, and it was the first time he had been there, and he went up to my son's room, and he came back, and he said to his mother, you know, Andrew's an only child, and you have to remember, this is like an eight-year-old. He's an only child, but he's not spoiled at all. Oh. His mother's really tough on him. So, <laughs> um, you know, I guess my point is that even very young children, they hear it from their parents. So striking. It just sticks forever. But we're working on it. I'm trying hard to get rid of these stereotypes. No, I, I, I appreciate that so much, which is why I wanted to talk to you. Um, so I wanted, the last thing I want to talk about is in your book, you, you talk about 
the people who choose to stay with one child because they really feel like they can offer one child a wonderful childhood, that they have enough resources and enough time to really do that well. And they're just not so confident they can do that as well for a second child. And I'm curious to ask you, um, do you think there's a risk of, you know, of perfectionism for, for families with one child that they try so hard to get it right that that can be really tough either on the parents or on the child? Uh, yeah, that there in the book. There's a whole list of things that parents of only children should concentrate on, and one of them is lowering your expectations for your child because you feel as if I have this one child and this child has to be a star child, and that can grossly backfire. Mm-hmm. So parents absolutely want to be really careful to um, not put pressure on their only child to excel. Believe me, your child, if you have one, knows that his or hers is the only report card that's coming home. There's no question. You don't need to add to it as a parent by saying, why didn't you score a goal in the soccer game? That doesn't help. Right. Of course, the other benefit of being an only child is that your your report card is not going to get compared to your siblings, and you're not going to get asked, well, why aren't you as good as your sibling? That's right. I mean, the, the, you eliminate the uh, whole issue of sibling rivalry when you have one and the whole issue of who is mom and dad's favorite because clearly the one child you have is the favorite. Right. Susan, you know what? I have to stop you. I just looked at the clock. We are out of time. Susan Newman, I need to thank you. It's been so interesting and helpful to talk to you. I so appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you for being my guest. Susan Newman is the author of Parenting an Only Child as well as The Case for the Only Child, Your Essential Guide. She writes the blog Singletons at the website for Psychology Today. If you'd like to learn more about her and her other work, she has a website, which is www.susannewmanphd.com. That's Susan Newman, N-E-W-M-A-N-P-H-D.com. My thanks tonight to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound and Maurice Lennon for the opening music. If you want to listen to the rest of this show or email it to a friend or listen to it again, go to our website at www.safespaceradio.com. You can subscribe to get weekly notifications. You can also like us on Facebook. Next week, I'm going to be talking to Diane Aronsaft about donor families, looking at the psychology of families with birth others, donors of eggs, sperm, and embryos. 